But good evening. Shalom, everyone. What a joy to be here before November. Boy, you're in trouble. You're stuck. You know, people are afraid to come to Israel, and I am truly starting to be afraid to come to America. Uh, uh, people ask me, is it safe there? And, you know, I always tell them, you know what? When you're in Israel, when you pray, it's a local call. And I also tell them that if the rapture will take place, then it's much shorter <laughs> over there. And also, um, anyway, you're packed. So, you know, it makes sense to be there. It makes sense to go. And how many of you wish you were in Israel? Okay, good. And how many of you were in Israel? How many of you are planning next year to be in Israel? And next year will include Petra as well in Jordan. How many of you just now, because you just heard that, decided you want to do next year? Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, well, it's a wonderful opportunity to be here and share with you this evening from the Word. Um, and the title of the message this evening will be, Are You Ready? And it's a very interesting question that Jesus himself asked the disciples that um, we know that we are being asked every day in light of what's going on around the world. It's a question that we need to ask ourselves every single day. And we need to understand God wants his children to be ready. And that is why he gave them clear instructions in his word. People are asking me, why is it that you're so obsessed with Bible prophecy? I said, Bible prophecy is all about instructions, how to get ready. What is coming next and how can we get ready for it? The whole idea is for that. In Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10, I am God and there is, there is none like me. I am God and there is no other. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. God declares the end from the beginning. He is not hiding His plans. He declares His plans for a reason. So his children will be ready. You know, all religions around the world, apart from whoever believes in the Bible, they don't have Bible prophecy or they don't have prophecies in their holy scriptures. Everything that is there is there and, it's, and that's it. And, and, and for us, a third, almost 30% of the Bible is prophecy of future events. And why is it so? Because our God is so confident that everything is going to happen, that we can read it now, and we know it's going to happen because, you know, they say that more than a thousand prophecies were already fulfilled, especially regarding the first coming of Christ. But for every one prophecy about His first coming in the, in the Old Testament, there are eight about His second coming. So you can think about it. What a great assurance we have about that one. And we need to understand something. God works in two tracks. There is the world and the world events. And there is my life and what is going on with us and the decisions that we ourselves are taking. And so regarding the world, we must uh, understand that things are going to happen. Now, you may like it or not. You may want it or not. I'll give you an example. The day will come and a world leader is about to emerge. And people will, some of them will accept him as Messiah. Some will accept him as world leader and as a redeemer, whatever. And we know he's going to be the Antichrist. Now, I'm asking you, can you stop it from happening? Of course not. The day will come... And we're going to have a rapture. The day will come where we're going to come back with him. According to Zechariah chapter 40. Can you stop it from happening? Of course not. You see, some things 
have been already determined 26, 2800 years ago, and they will happen. God in his foreknowledge knows everything that is going to happen, and thus he revealed through his prophets to the fathers those plans. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 1, God who in the ancient times spoke to the fathers by the prophets in these last days are speaking to us or speak to us through His Son Jesus Christ. So the same God is speaking. He's revealing His plans. He's telling us exactly what is going to happen. And let he who have ears, ears hear what the Spirit has to say. So again, there's the world and there is my life. Now whatever you decide is going to affect where you will be when those world events are going to happen anyway. You understand that? You can choose sides, but those events will take place whether you like it or not. So this is exactly why Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulations. In other words, from day one, Jesus already put everything into perspective. He never promised Garden of Roses. He never kind of left them with delusion that everything is beautiful. He made it very clear. He didn't want to lie to the disciples. You know, in this world, you're going to have tribulations. Because Jesus knew exactly what is going to happen. He knows exactly how the world is going. He knows exactly what on November 8th is going to happen. He knows exactly what's going to happen later. He knows everything. So in this world, you will have tribulations. Let me reiterate that. In this world, as long as you live in this world, even you, even us, all of us, we are going to have tribulations. Oh, but I thought that I, when I come to Christ, everything will be great. Oh, show me the verse. The verse is, in this world, you will have tribulations. But then he says, but be of good cheer. In other words, the world will have tribulations. It's a given. But you, you be of good cheer. Why? Because he has overcome the world. Amen? Amen. So again, two tracks. Oh, no need. <laughs> Two tracks. Remember that. And why is it so important? Because I know so many people, maybe some of them are, are even here right now, this evening, that tell me, oh, if only I saw Jesus, I would have believed. You know those people? Some of you are, might, might be here. Well, let me tell you something. Some people at the time of Jesus lived right then, and they saw him. And they followed him physically. And they walked with him. And then the day came and, and Jesus himself appeared and said to them, You know the Son of Man has to be taken according to the prophet. And to be uh, suffering through by the hands of the priest. And he will be crucified and he will die and he will be buried and he will resurrect on the third day. He said it all. Now Jesus, by the way, never, ever, ever, ever preached from the New Testament. <laughs> so every time Jesus taught, and every time he quoted verses, and every time the Bible says he expounded about himself from the Word, what was it? It was the Old Testament. So how come I see a lot of Christians that are walking with the New Testament and the Psalms? I hope they paid half price for it. <laughs> it's half the Bible. But I need you to understand, guys. Jesus was there. And he fulfilled everything that the Bible said about him. And then the day came, and it was Sunday morning, and, and, and the women went to the tomb, and they found that the tomb was empty. And then they went to the house to tell the men. And John says, when, when we heard that, we ran to the tomb, and... Uh, I, I outran Peter. <laughs> I love that detail. So John ran and he out, outran Peter and he made it to the tomb first. And Peter came and they verified that everything the women said was true. 
In those days, not everything that a woman said would be held as true. I'm sorry. That's the truth. You had to understand. It was not written for nothing. They testified. And by the way, the Bible says in John chapter 20, and in, in obviously in, in Luke chapter 24, it says that they made sure that what the women said was indeed true. They kind of verified it was true. And it's interesting because they saw that the tomb is empty. Now, they were disciples. They were with him. They knew exactly what he said. The Bible said that he's going to resurrect. It's all there. He did resurrect. The tomb is empty. And two of the disciples decided, oh, this is too much. What's going on here? We're leaving Jerusalem. We're walking away. We're out. You know this term? I'm out of here. <laughs> We're out of here. And I was... In, in Luke chapter 24, that when they said we're out of here, in that day, in verse 13, two of them traveled the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was uh, seven miles from Jerusalem. And then they said they talked together all these things which happened. So it was while they conversed and, and, rec- and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Now, have you ever been to a funeral? Okay. Now, what are the prospects that you are in a funeral... Then you rush to the airport, get on the plane, and that deceased person is sitting right next to you. <laughs> now, even if he looks like him, you'll never think it's him, because you've just been to the funeral. Okay? Well, they just had Jesus buried, and he's sitting right next to them. Or he's walking with them right now. So the, obviously, there's no way it's him. Okay? So they're walking with him, and he's walking with them, and he's asking them... A simple question. What kind of conversation is it that you are having with one another and you walk and you are so sad? Oh, you understand. They saw the empty tomb. It is Sunday morning. They left Jerusalem and they're sad. Everything he said is going to happen is happening. They should be super happy. And what are they? That's the picture of too many believers today. No. Look who we are stuck with. November is coming. That's it. God is not on the throne. This is your hope and your salvation. Since when that which sits in the White House is the hope of your nation? Let's stop it for a second. And let's not run to Emmaus. Guys, God is still on the throne. And so, they talk and, 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 and then he says, well, why are you so sad? Everything I said is going to happen, is happening. I just defeated death, by the way. And, and, and they're sad and, and they look at him you know how it is when, when you try to, to cheer up people, you know, and they look at you? And, and they looked at Jesus and they said, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And I love what Jesus said. What things? <laughs> what things? What are you talking about? I remember, what are you talking about, Willis? You know this? Uh... <laughs> anyway, so here he is asking them what things... And then they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, who was a prophet, that's it, he's no longer, who was a prophet in might and deed and word before the God and the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. We were hoping that he was going. That's it. They already buried him when he's already resurrected. You see, we must be careful not to bury him again. He defeated death. He gave us promises. Everything he said so far, perfect fulfillment. And we are Sad, and we were hoping it's going to be Ted Cruz. 
and we were hoping it's going to be this, and we are hoping it's going to be that. Guys, why? Are, and then he says, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in that which the prophets have spoken. You see, they were sad as they were walking down to Emmaus. They were confused because their perception of the Messiah was one thing and what he did was another thing. So they are confused and they were embarrassed because they were hoping he's going to deliver Israel. Yet he actually died on the cross that day, fulfilling everything Isaiah said and Jeremiah said and, and, and Zechariah said. Yet, you know, the Jewish Talmud says that when Messiah will come, if he is riding a donkey, the people aren't ready. If he's riding a horse, the people are ready. Isn't that interesting? He came riding a donkey and they were not ready. He will come back riding a horse and they sure will be ready. But think about it. It's all there. So he came to fulfill Zechariah. He came to fulfill Isaiah. He came to fulfill, uh, you know, Jeremiah. He, fulfilled, he did everything just as the Bible said he would. And they were embarrassed because it didn't fit what they had in mind. Well, I was sure that Jesus is going to choose someone else rather than Trump. <laughs> oh, unaccepted. You know, neither one of them is... The best America can provide. However, I don't want to go there, you know. Don't get me going. However, who do we trust? Who do we put our trust in? Are we doomed and gloomed, depressed, suppressed, and oppressed? Are we on our way to emails? Or we understand. He just defeated death. We actually are sobering up right now. We understand everything he said is actually happening. In fact, wow, we are having hope right now. He defeated death. He is alive. We worship in living God. For Job said, for I know that my Redeemer lives. So we have hope. And guess what they did? Once they realized Jesus it's him who spoke to them. It's him who conversed with them. It's him who walked with them. Guess what they did? They turned around. And they walked straight back to Jerusalem. Even though it was late at night, no one walks that late anywhere in those days. Even nowadays in downtown LA. But no one does it. <laughs> they actually took the road back to Jerusalem, which was the road back to reality, which is holding on to the victory. It's no longer the road of defeat. You see, you can go away from the plan of God, from the things of God, because you're so disappointed with what is going on in this world. Or you can actually stick there, be there, cope reality, and hold on to the victory. Amen? And it's interesting, but Jesus, in both in Matthew 24 and in Luke 21, He gave us a clear signs of the end. He, you know, that this whole thing of, of what the end is going to be. You know, a lot of people are asking themselves what the end is going to be. I was in New York City two months ago along the 8th Avenue, and I counted probably 15 different little shops for psychics, those that are reading, you know, in, in cars and in crystal ball, whatever. And, you know, if you have that many... And if it's on the 8th Avenue, they do very well, business-wise. People want to know what the end is going to be. They want to know the future. It's a built-in thing in human beings. So they ask him, Master, what are the signs of the end of the age? And he did not talk about the blood moon. And he did not talk about Shemitah. And he did not talk about all these things. But he did tell them wars and rumors of wars, pestilences, earthquakes, and all of that. Everything he said is happening today. And then he did say persecution will always be on the way. So don't think it's only going to be a garden of roses. There will be some bumps on the way. And he did tell them and warn them that not all 
all will endure. The Bible says that the love of many is going to grow cold. The Bible says many will be falling away from faith. Did you know that in the country of South Korea, almost a third of their believers is now gone as far as number? They stop praying. The youth is not praying anymore. There's no growth anymore. They lose numbers by the millions. And it's all over the world. And if that's not enough, even those who call themselves Christians are not really ready. And Jesus, you know, gave us that parable of the ten virgins. They were ten virgins. And they were all wearing, you know, white. And they were all holding the menorah in their hand. And they were all thinking that the bridegroom is coming. He's going to take me. Everything outwardly looked the same. Everything was perfect. Yet what we know is that only five had oil in their lamp. While the others realized, hey, I need to go and get some oil. And by the time they got back, he was gone. They were not ready. You know how many people come to church and they're not even believers? They call themselves Christians. They come to church. They give money. They say hallelujah. They warm up the seat. And they go back. And the minute they go out of these doors, they live in the world. Worldly life. They give no regards to God. They don't read His Word. They don't pray. They don't know His will. They don't know His plans. They just live in the world. And Sunday morning comes, they dress up nice, they come to church, they give the money, say hallelujah, warm up the seat, and then go back home. <laughs> and everything looks great. You would never know that they're not really walking with Him. They don't have the Holy Spirit. You'll be very surprised who is with us when we're raptured and who is with, not with us when we're raptured. And Jesus also gave us directions what to do and how to get ready. And He also said that not all will be really taking his word seriously. Um, just a, a week and a half ago, somebody called uh, to every man an answer or pastor's perspective. What, uh, what's the name of it right now? Pastor's perspective. And they called and they, they said, we are a bunch of believers and we don't believe in the second coming of Jesus. So what do you have to say about that? Okay, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> Give me the translation. Because in my eyes, this is the only hope we have. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to come and I'll take... I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'll come and I'll take you to be there. Now, if that's not real, then what is real? It's funny because uh, if I only saw Jesus... Well, you know what? The, the men of Galilee... Can, can you imagine a bunch of Galilean Jews? They're not that sophisticated, educated, fishermen, you know. <laughs> and they're standing on Mount of Olives. And they never saw a science fiction movie. They never saw anything that can leave gravity in their life. Now, we go and hunt Pokemon right now. <laughs> but they did not have those things. I mean, can you imagine Peter hunting? Think about it. They stood on Mount of Olives, and they, guess what happened? Jesus is no longer obeying the rules and laws of gravity. And he is ascending to heaven. And they're like that. Okay, now he's gone, but they're still. And he's still, he's gone, that's it. And they're like, for a long time. How do I know? I wasn't there. But. There was an angel there. And you know, angels, they've seen it all. You know, people fly there. and uh, It's not a big deal for an angel. So the angel saw it all. And the angel is kind of looking at them. And he says, man of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. It's plain and simple. Just as real as his ascension was, his return is going to be. And he's not coming back, by the way, to New York City or Salt Lake City. He's not going to be in a watchtower here or in some lake. Over. He is coming and his feet, according to the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14, his feet will be standing on Mount of Olives. So, he will come back. 
So now when we know that God is in full control, and then all the track of the world events is on full speed, let's try and understand where are we on the prophetic timetable right now. How many of you watched TV lately and saw what's going on in Turkey right now? Hello? Okay, I'm going to ask it again because you're embarrassing me right now. How many people understand that very amazing things are happening in Turkey right now? Good, much better. Okay, so Turkey experiences right now what Germany experienced in 1933. I cannot even say anything less than that. In fact, the Germans and the Austrians are admitting that themselves. And they uh, remember how the Third Reich began by, by obviously burning the Reichstag and, and causing people to think that Hitler should be the hero that will heal the wounds of that nation. Ladies and gentlemen, Rajib Tayyip Erdogan was elected as prime minister on behalf of the Islamic party, in, uh, which is the branch of the Muslim Brotherhood in Turkey. And what he did was very, very simple. You know that Hitler, by the way, invented Volkswagen? Did you know that? Volkswagen means the people's car. Folk, folk dance, Volkswagen. Wagen is a car. So it's the people's car. He kind of produced a, a car that will be affordable to people and will be durable. And, and you know, if you had a, you know, a, a, a car like that, the, 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 the bugs, you call them? Or how do you call them? The bugs, yeah. Well, they can, they can run forever. Well, I want to tell you something. Erdogan loaned money, or, or bar, excuse me, borrowed money from many countries and gave cheap loans to all of his people. And the Turkish people started buying cars, buying houses. They really felt great relief. And the economy went up. Everything was wonderful. And therefore, he was re-elected. And therefore, later on, he was elected as president. But the problem with the president position in Turkey is that it really is powerless. It's like the queen or even the president in Israel. It's a ceremonial post. So what he does now, he's saying to himself, how can I be powerful and still be president? Okay. So guess what happened? First of all, let me explain how the Turkish system is. Have you ever seen an egg carton? Let's put that picture on, on the screen. This is what an egg carton looked like. The egg carton is filled with little tiny pyramids. You understand that? Well, Turkey was like that until four weeks ago. Little pyramids, the elite of the education system, of the, of the, um, um, the um, I would say, academics, of the uh, social workers, of the, of the excuse me, of the... Um, <clears throat> The industrial workers, uh, the elite of the uh, education, the elite of the army, the elite of the judicial system. The, every little pyramid had its own elite, its own people whom you cannot touch. Untouchable. And it's interesting because you could be prime minister and still not affect those people. They're all having their own status, you know. So what happened is this. On the evening between the 15th and the 16th of July, we know there was a failed coup attempt. You all saw TV. Now, watch what happened. Ten hours before that happened, ten hours, the Russian intelligence intercepted secret um, uh, messages between the actual potential uh, rebels and immediately alerted the Turkish intelligence. So the president knew 10 hours before that a coup is planned within a few hours. The Iranians who are in... in how do you know... How do you, why would Russia know about it? Because Russia invaded into Syria. And now Russia sits on the border with Turkey. So Russia gets all those messages. Iran is also now in Syria the Iranian soldiers. And they advised President Erdogan, they advised him, don't send troops to fight the troops. It looks bad. Send civilians so it will look like the people 
are against the coup. You understand that? And that's how the whole world saw it. But in reality, it wasn't really people. It was 60,000 of what we call POH, Police Özel Herakat, which is the police special action. It's policemen dressed in civilian clothes. And they were sent, they were the secret police of Erdogan, they were sent to the streets to show as if the people, the masses, are against that coup. Isn't that interesting that Erdogan, who was in great tension with Russia over the shooting down of the Russian plane, Erdogan is now being warned by the Russians, advised by the Iranians. And what he did, he allowed that coup to happen. He sent those civilians, he stopped that coup, and he came back into Istanbul and Ankara as a hero, almost as a god. And what he did, he took that egg carton, took his fist, and pow, pow, pow. he now flattens all those small pyramids, so he will be the only one. And from now on, there is no democracy in Turkey. There is dictatorship. He arrested within 48 hours 60,000 people with lists that were pre-planned, pre-arranged. He knew it was going to happen one day. He waited for that to happen. And when it happened, he took advantage of it. And he destroyed everyone who, might stand on his, who may stand on his way. Turkey is officially a dangerous country in the eyes of NATO. A dangerous country in the eyes of all those financial companies that are, are, are actually giving you a credit level. Now the Turkish credit is garbage. There's no A+, plus, no B+, plus, no it's garbage. Turkey is now not only a dictatorship, but Turkey is a dangerous dictatorship because it's in a real problem. Russia. Three weeks ago, a very, very interesting incident happened on the Israeli-Syrian border, which you probably never heard of. Israel unsuccessfully tried to intercept a drone that breached its airspace. Hmm. Why do we need to hear about it on Thursday night here in the church? Let me tell you why. The Israeli army, our entire attention right now is fixed on Damascus right now. We are not afraid of Hamas, Hezbollah, all of that thing. We're, we're pretty secure. We've never been safer in our history than we are now, just so you know. We don't have any country you know, about annihilate us at this present moment. Unlike what we had in the 50s and the 60s, we're safe now. Our entire military's eyes are right now on Damascus for many reasons. Our entire weapon systems are programmed to destroy anything that breaches our airspace that is not Israeli-made. You understand? And for some reason... We just unsuccessfully tried to intercept that drone. We couldn't understand why. So we took the video and we zoomed in and guess what we found? The drone that breached our own airspace is, or was, take a look, an Israeli-made drone. This is why we couldn't destroy it. And when we went back to check on the list of to whom did we sell those very old primitive drones, Russia. And by the way, three days ago, the Russians admitted it was theirs. Now, why do I say that? The year is 2016. Russia is right at our border, and Russia is trying. Russia is testing us. Russia is testing the alertness of the Israelis right now. Not from Moscow, but right there on the Golan Heights. So here we are, having Turkey collaborating with Russia, collaborating with Iran, building an interesting coalition. Iran, Iran is extorting you right now every day. You're crying over the $400 million. Are you kidding me? That was just one payment. And you're trying to think, was it ransom, not ransom? Who cares? 
Every day they are extorting more and more because they know one thing. You cherish the deal with them so much so that whatever they want right now, you'll pay for them not to walk away from that deal. And they, they know how to do business. They know how to count. You know, Lawrence Haas, a former senior White House official and award-winning journalist, wrote a couple months ago, We're witnessing a strange spectacle in the U.S. foreign policy, one with no obvious precedent. President Barack Obama is trying to desperately protect his cherished nuclear deal with Iran, making one concession after another in response to Iran's post-deal demands to ensure Tehran does not walk away from it. This is another example of Obama's pandering to U.S. enemies while being critical to its closest allies, in example of Israel. Obama, for all intents and purposes, endorsed the European Union boycott on Israeli products from Judea and Samaria, thus conferring a degree of legitimacy to the BDS movement. So you see that there is an interesting thing going on where Iran is you know, playing with the cards close to its chest and is now defying anything that the West is trying to achieve. But I want to tell you something that you probably don't know. Bible prophecy is not all about Iran and Turkey and Syria and Russia. Bible prophecy is also about Africa. Did you know that? You know, Benjamin Netanyahu lately felt that we are in big trouble if we put all the eggs in the baskets of Washington, D.C. First, we lost our ally in the White House. Second, God knows who's the next. You know, they say that the devil that you know is better than the devil that you don't know. And, and, and God knows who's coming next and what kind of decisions will be taken there. So what he did is very simple. We started an unprecedented diplomatic offensive. And we are now going and we are targeting Africa. Interesting. The Times of Israel wrote in February, Netanyahu to visit Africa, first Israeli Prime Minister to do so in 50 years. Israel is coming back to Africa. Africa is coming back to Israel. It's happening in a big way, Premier proclaimed. In July, when Netanyahu was on his way to Africa, the New York Times says, in Africa, Benjamin Netanyahu looks for friends and UN votes for Israel. True. And what happened is, when he landed and he started visiting the four countries that he did, after 49 years, Israel renews diplomatic ties with Guinea. Foreign Ministry Chief Dory Gold signs agreement with the West African Muslim nation, calls on another to others to follow suit. You understand? Israel starts renewing diplomatic relationship with one country after the other. Watch this. Jerusalem Post, just from five weeks ago, following Guinea, Chad expected to be next African state to renew ties with Israel. Chad severed ties with Israel in 1972 after coming under intense pressure from its Arab neighbors. Who? Say that. Libya and Sudan. Say that again. Libya and Sudan. These are two countries that you must pay attention to. In Libya, you guys, with the Europeans, managed to kill the devil that we know, (laughs) which is Gaddafi. And what we got now is about five different governments. Everyone claims to be the right one. They don't agree on anything. And the interesting thing is, the only way to make money right now, billions of dollars, is to smuggle people, Muslim immigrants, into Italy from Libya. Libya and Italy are very, very close. The Italian mafia, together with the Libyan, one of the few governments there, is collaborating, and by the end of this year, it will be 900,000 immigrants that are making their way into Europe from Libya. Libya has, is semi-controlled by also ISIS. I don't know if you know that. Sudan is really angry with Israel. Why? Because in the last five years, Israel had attacked in Sudan, and you don't know about it, and I never told you anything, Five times we have attacked in the depth of the Sudanese desert and in the capital, Khartoum, destroying convoys of weapons that Iran was smuggling all the way to get to the hands of Hamas from Sinai to Gaza. 
Not only that we destroyed the convoys, but when, we, when the Iranians realized we can't really send shipment, the Iranians built a huge factory, huge plant in Khartoum to build weapons. We destroyed it also. And I want you to know, it's 1,500 miles to Khartoum, exactly the same distance to the nuclear reactors of Iran. So for us, it was also a dry test, you know, to, to, if we ever want to attack this way. We know how to fly that distance and how to mid-air refuel and all of that. But I want you to understand, guys, Sudan is really against us. How do I know? Two weeks after Netanyahu went back to Israel, the Palestinian president, Abbas, went to Sudan, and the, the, Bible, the, uh, the Jerusalem Post says, Palestinians and Sudan working to restrain Israeli breakthrough in Africa. Interesting, isn't that? And then, just 10 days ago, the Jerusalem Post, Netanyahu likely to attend summit in Nigeria by the end of the year. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, spearheading an intense Israeli diplomatic initiative in Africa, is expected to travel to Abuja, Nigeria, by the end of the year to take part in a summit of a 15-member economic community, uh, community of West Africa. First time in the history, Israeli Prime Minister is in the most important economic conference in Africa, in Nigeria. Now, why is it super important? Because we can see that Africa is becoming warming up towards Israel. They understand that, you know, Islam never led us to win anything. <laughs> and if anything, we can get from Israel a lot. We can get from Israel defense systems, agriculture. We can get from Israel so much why don't we just collaborate with them rather than be against them? Now, we don't have to afraid, be afraid of anyone. No one is going to condemn us for it. So that's what they do. One country after the other, the African continent is becoming friends with Israel. I know for their own reasons. But watch it. The only two countries that are standing on their, back, on their you know, feet and, and they're against it are what? Libya. Libya and Sudan. Why do I mention that? Because watch this, we talked about these countries. Can we put those flags, please, on the screen, and you can see that. We talked about Turkey, Russia, Iran, Libya, and Sudan, and Israel in the middle. Now, I'm talking about current events. But 2,800 years ago, Ezekiel, in his 38th chapter, saw these countries. Let's see them again. But... Ezekiel did not call them in their modern names. Can I see the biblical name of these countries right now? There you go. Ezekiel predicted that the next thing after Israel is back in their land, after Israel is safe, secure, and prosperous, we've never been more prosperous than now in our history. Once Israel is safe, secure, and prosperous, there will be an alliance of five countries. Ezekiel named them. It's Rosh, Meshek, and Tuval, which is Russia in that area. It is, it is Iran, which is known as Persia. It is Turkey, which is known as Gomer and the house of Togarma. It is Sudan, which is called Kush. And it is Libya, which is called Put. These are the biblical names of these countries today. And we see that in 2016. What I'm trying to tell you this evening is very simple. The world is getting ready. The world is getting ready. Now, they taught me in America that when you see in mid-November Christmas light, you know that Thanksgiving is around the corner. Am I right? Hello? When you know that any day now, yeah. <laughs> but when you know that a war is coming up and the Antichrist will be the one who brings peace and the preparation for that, for that war is in full gear and you know that it is the Antichrist, according to the Bible, that will introduce peace to the Middle East as a result of this war. This is not the Armageddon War. The Armageddon War will not have the Antichrist introducing peace. Because he will be part of that war. And because Jesus will come back to put an end to that war. The Antichrist will introduce peace to the war of Ezekiel 38 and 39. 
So what I'm trying to say is, if we should be raptured before the Antichrist appears, according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the restrainer has to be removed from the way for him to show his face. And we already see the preparation for that war, which will bring about that peace introduced by that man. Hello. Any day now. You understand what I'm trying to say? Now, I'm not a prophet. In fact, Behold Israel is a non-profit organization. <laughs> what I can tell you is this. In Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verses 23 to 25, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That's what we need to be doing right now. Not, uh, you know, be angry about this, about that, Democratic, uh, Republican, all of that thing. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good work, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. Wow. So you see, first of all, we know that the day is approaching. And it says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. The hope that we have. The hope that I have as a Jew who believes in the Bible, who reads Hebrew in his own Bible, in the Old Testament of his old prophets... I can see in Isaiah, in Isaiah that, behold, a virgin shall conceive. And I can see, behold, a son unto us, a son was born. And we can see that his name will be wonderful, counselor, counselor ever, everlasting father. We can see that he's going to be the prince of peace. We can see that the same person who will come, branch out of the stem of Jesse will be the same one who will take the sins of the world upon himself, as Isaiah 53 says. We can see in Jeremiah 31 that a new covenant is going to be given to the people of Israel, for they broke the old one. In Zechariah, we see that he will enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. I don't need to go to the New Testament to find out that Jesus is the Messiah when he himself proved that he is the Messiah without using the New Testament even once. I do need to hold on fast the confession of my hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. See, he is faithful. He will come back and he will save us. And no matter who sits in the White House and no matter who is in the uh, um, prime minister's office in Jerusalem, and no matter who is running the World Bank and who is running the Federal Reserve, and no matter what the UN will be, and no matter who the Pope is going to be, and no matter, and who cares who the Antichrist is going to be. People are asking me all day long, is he going to be Muslim? Is he going to be this? Going to... Why do you think I need to know that? I'm not planning on seeing him. <laughs> now, if you want to see him, good for you. But I want you to understand that we are at the very end. And Romans, and I will finish with this, in Romans 13, one of my favorite chapters. In Romans 13, it says the following thing. It says in verse 11, And do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now... Our salvation, the salvation of the body from this world, the rapture, is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. We're still in the night. This is a dark world. But it's far spent. You see, the last day started when Jesus came. And John says that we're in the last hour. So, the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us look what he says. Because that, so the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, as in the day. Although we are in the night, we need to walk as in the day. And then he says, not in reverie, 
not in drunkenness, not in lewdness, not in lust, not in strife, not in envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not wish that anyone will be lost. Father, some count it as slackness. But we know that you're long-suffering, not willing that anyone will perish, but all will come to the saving knowledge of the Messiah. You sent your only begotten Son. You promised Him to the people of Israel through their own Torah, prophets, and Psalms. You gave them hope. You give us hope today. You gave us Bible prophecy not to scare but to prepare. And we thank you, Father, that you want your children to be informed so they can get ready. We thank you, Father, that you want us to prepare ourselves as a bride to its bridegroom with those beautiful white linen dress. So we need to cast off and, and, and we need to shake off anything in our life that might be a terrible stain on that white linen. And today, this evening, we want to hold on to the hope, the confession of that hope. Because He who promised is faithful. And you who began the good work in us you are going to be faithful to fulfill it and to complete it. Father, if anyone here this evening does not know the Messiah who came to bring solution for the problem of the world, the disobedience and the disbelief that separated us from you already in Genesis 3, if anyone here doesn't know you, I hope and I pray that tonight you will not let them sleep before they somehow figure out what in the world is going on. Are we ready? We thank you that your love is amazing. For you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son that he whosoever believes in you, in him, shall never perish, but will have eternal life. So we thank you, and we bless you, and we come before you and ask all of this in the matchless and beautiful name of the Holy One of Israel, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, the name that is above all names, in the name of Yeshua, Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.